Hello everyone out there in digital land. Thank you so much for tuning in with me to another episode of the Right Way Podcast Program. Uh, it is I, your host, Sam Elliott. And today I had, or this evening, I had the incredible good fortune of speaking to a man of many hats, albeit many feathers festooning his one hat. Uh, he is a contemporary Australian poet, dancer, actor, and filmmaker. I've gone so far as to aptly or summarily describe him as an all-round prolific creative. So there you go. I think that's a pretty apt and fair description, but his name is Richard James Allen. This isn't the first time I've spoken to Richard James Allen. I had the pleasure of interviewing him pre the Right Way podcast days about his uh, one of his collections of poetry called The Short Story of You and I, which was... Um, just incredible, particularly for someone such as myself who's not uh, a possessor of an encyclopedic knowledge of poetry. I just remember being blown away by the sort of real big thinking, sort of existential questioning, ineffable ineffability of the human condition and our connection to the endless cosmos type stuff that seemed to intrigue Richard and he sort of wanted to put into poetic sort of writing. But anyway, it was also, and interestingly enough, I'm not just going on a tangent here, it actually applies to what Richard talked to me about tonight, albeit how he informed his character and his performance as a lead actor or lead character, Hans, in the new delightfully weird independent Australian film that he starred in, Bloodshot Heart. So I want you to give a big digital round of applause to this incredibly talented, prolifically talented, creative Richard James Allen talking to me about his role as Hans in the new independent Australian film, Bloodshot Heart. Richard James Allen, thank you so much for joining me on the Right Way podcast program. How are you today, my friend? Very well. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. I'm really honoured to be here. I'm so. Oh, look, I'm honoured that you're on, that you're that you're a guest. I mean, like this isn't the first time that we've had an interview. It is the first time that we've done it over Zoom, though. Um, I've obviously got to spoke to you about one of your poetry collections before, which was really awesome. So you're a man of many hats, Richard. I mean, like you've you've you're a very accomplished um, perennial accomplished poet, a writer, and and now an actor with um, with Bloodshot Heart. Well, you know, um, I guess I. I'm very interested in um, our potential as human beings that we can do different things. And, you know, obviously if you're going to be an artist, you have to work really hard to be good at things, but I, I guess I don't feel one should be stuck inside a box all the time, you know? Mm, mm, absolutely. So tell me, or tell, tell our listeners first, just give a brief overview of, for those not, in the, not yet in the know, so, so that we can make them in the know. Put into words for me what Bloodshot Heart is as a story, a brief overview. Well, I think, you know, when I tell people about Bloodshot Heart, I think the most important thing I can say is it's a psychological thriller. Mm. And when I say that to people, I think eight and a half out of 10 go, oh my God, I love psychological thrillers. That's my favorite. And then 1.5 out of 10 go, really? Oh, uh, is it scary? And it's oh, it's, it's so um, it's really so. I think that's the most. In, that's where I'd start because I can certainly tell you the story, and I'd be happy to go into that. But I think um, you know, just giving it that frame to approach it is is really is really uh, helpful. Um, do you want me to go further on the story? Yeah, yeah, or? yeah. Please, 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 please. That was a good. That was a good overview or prelude. Tell me more. Yeah, tell well, us more. Tell us more. Well. Um, Bloodshot Heart is the story of a character called Hans that I play. Um, and he is a, um, a sort of middle-aged, that sounds so depressing when I say <laughs> Oh, my God. So he's a middle-aged driving instructor. Um, 
he's still living with his mother and he obviously has some mental issues. He's been traumatized by things that happened in his past. So he's kind of living this uh, very sort of muted existence. It's like a sort of a, a very small round of activities that, that he and his mother do. Um, and then obviously they're not very rich. You can see that in the film, they're sort of, he's counting bills and things like that. And they take on a border, uh, you know, a, a, a tenant and this young woman arrives and he's just completely taken with her. He thinks in fact, that this is his long lost love. The woman who died in unfortunate circumstances when he was younger and sort of triggered many of his traumas and psychological issues. And he thinks she's come back and she's alive and there she is. And he has a chance at a second start. Um, so the story is really about how he comes up with this uh, dangerous plan to convince her and everyone else that this is the case. It is a dangerous plan and things naturally go awry and uh, without giving too much <laughs> yeah. away, I loved how it leads to this absolute descent into sort of uh, Hunter S. Thompson madness towards the latter half of the film that was just wild. But um, I won't go too much into that. Let me talk, let, let's talk about uh, your character then, Hans, or let's first talk about what drew you to the project. What, what initially and yeah drew you to it, inspired you to want to be part of it, well, let look, alone I being think, at the helm of it? Yeah, well, look, I think the thing is... Um, I just, I did, um, I did the proof of concept with the director Parish Malfitano was his uh, sort of final project at the Australian Film and Television and Radio School after us. Mm. And um, it was a pretty fascinating character. And, and, you know, all along he was telling me he wanted to make the feature. And I thought this is a really great opportunity for me to, exp as an actor, Mm -hmm. uh, because this is a very complicated character. Absolutely. You know, it's a richly dramatic character. It's a kind of, um, you know, without wanting to sort of make, to be pompous about it, it's it's almost Shakespearean. It's a kind mm -hmm. of a, a very complex, tragic character um, who goes through a, a sort of a descent, um, a series of descending states of consciousness that sort of basically take him to the lower depths and out of touch with reality as we know it. So to me, that was just like, wow, I mean, you know, fascinating opportunity to, to, to show what I can do as an actor and just to, to do it, you know, because uh, one wants to sink one's teeth into something interesting. And I would say that, you know, I was thinking about that you, I knew you were going to ask me about the connection of poetry and, and acting. And I think, um, you know, this is not a character that I would have written or thought about or a story that I would come to. So it was kind of expansive for me. It allowed me to go somewhere else. But I think the thing where there is a sim there is a connection is that I'm, as a poet, I'm very interested in different states of consciousness. Mm. I'm really interested in what happens when our mind is in a certain state and how we think that way. So I quite often write poems that are in these different states. So, you know, in that, in that book, um, that you that you so beautifully interviewed me for um, that uh, short story of you and I. There's um, there's a poem about someone who's on a night train and their their consciousness sort of just goes completely off because they start having these sort of delusions. So I'm really fascinated by that, and I think that sort of drew me. I was like, wow, I get to explore all these wild states of mind that this character goes through. 
I can totally pick up on that. And you are right with the short story of you and I. I mean, some of it, like, I, I, I'm not obviously a possessor of encyclopedic knowledge of poetry, but it was, I've seldom brushed up against any of your sort of uh, type of writing there, Richard, in terms of the sort of subject matter that you delve into. So I knew that it would definitely align with that and sort of kind of pondering the sort of ineffability of the human psyche, particularly the damaged human psyche. I thought that might have been a drawing card for you with this sort of character. The thing with with Hans as well, and you've mentioned it, and you mentioned you touched on Shakespeare, and you've also mentioned about this. You said a couple of nice things that I liked about the character being inherently complex or densely layered, which is correct, and also that he lives this sort of muted existence, muted existence, which I also agree with as well. What I um what I wondered, and how you went about it is, uh, even though the character himself is very unique. I feel that, um, and you mentioned there's uh, some some classified as a psychological thriller, albeit it can be classified as psychological thriller. There's that sort of uh, kind of the this the sort of standard of a man who's already somewhat of a fractured psyche that continues to descend into madness, and uh, that can quickly verge into the the cliche that everyone kind of knows about. Bloodshot Heart never felt like it did that, not for me anyway. And I wondered what it was that you did, albeit with the with it was the writing or the character development with the director himself to kind of ensure that it subverted those sort of tropes or never kind of conformed to any of the more kind of conventional and albeit antiquated types of those sort of characters. Yeah, well, look, I think that um, some people have compared this to the giallo genre, which is a, a, an Italian sort of a... Love giallo. Uh, Love giallo. Yeah, giallo sort of, it's kind of pulp fiction kind of thing, really. Um I think, um, and and that sort of influences. They're not really directly, but in in all the sort of richness of the kind of B grade seventies movies that mm. Parrish was interested in. Um, I think that when we went through the process, so Parrish wrote the first drafts of the script, and then Martin Thorne, the producer, and I worked as script editors. We went through a, a, a you know an intense process of working on the script, and I I think what we really tried to do, sort of you know stepping back, is we we tried to not let the story fall into all the cliches of of the genres that it could mm. we tried to and i'm not saying parish didn't want to do this as well we all tried to sort of it, it had that element of genre um psychological thriller some people say psychological horror it's not really horror but you know that's a very fluid category mm. now um we really tried to work against some of those stereotypes you know, and in particular, you know, the sort of woman as victim, we were very, very clear on that. We had um, Karen Perlman as our supervising editor, and she was, you know, a major sort of feminist uh, film theorist and uh, filmmaker herself. And, you know, we really tried to steer away from the broadest cliches so it has the resonances with the genre, but adds a much more contemporary flavor on as many levels as we could really. Um, to avoid those more obvious cliches. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. I like that you mentioned the Jalo sort of homages or, or influences there because I certainly picked up on that. I just saw recently a very wild um, Jalo inspired kind of 1970s Italian, Italian. It wasn't a horror film. It was just a, a bizarre, strange little gem of a film. Uh, to my mother on the day of her birth. Have you ever oh, seen? Wow. Have you ever seen that? Seen it. It's Sounds on, it's, great. It's, it's it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it was kind of in many ways that the subject matter is quite different, and it's obviously yours is much more stable within the sort of scope of a psychological thriller. But um, some of the the dynamics between, and I just kind of like dovetails nicely into my next question, which is the dynamics that we kind of seldom see in movies these days. 
is this sort of connection between a like sorry use the term you used at first middle-aged man and his mother with that sort of a that can be estranged or whether it's endearment or an estrangement within a, a relationship and that's sort of something that's kind of at the core of this 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 film I'd wager and I guess that that maybe sort of served as some of the inspiration to kind of like what led you with the character development is that kind of along those lines well I think you know this was a big thing for for Paris the director and the, the actual writer um you know, because he's he is Italian Australian, and he you know the the role of the mother is a very powerful figure. In fact, his mother has is a very powerful figure, and she loves it loves the whole film. And um, but you know she she's a bit of inspiration for it. I think in some ways, I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, um, yeah, I think I think that kind of allowed us to to move the the narrative of this character away from it being just about the younger woman mm. she really wanted to avoid kind of too much of that sort of a more complex sort of relationship between the two women and then the guys who sort of represent Australian society so we tried to create a lot of layers in there uh for for the story and for him and for the audience um and you know it's interesting because I actually think that that mother character uh, is is a very resonant, almost sort of mythic character. It's almost mm. like something like a Greek tragedy, you know. And the Absolutely. way that Dina plays it um, is is it's sort of like she's there, but there's these layers and layers and layers and layers behind her gaze, you know. It's sort of like whoosh, something out of Homer or something. So I, I I really like that. I mean, that relates also, I think, to the fact that the film it's a it's a it's not a it's not a straight up and down Australian um in a naturalist or realist film it's very it's really almost like an opera it's for, it's and and there is actually opera music as interstitial mm. music it has a kind of very operatic type of quality so there's a sort of grandness to the characters and um not that people are acting in a in a grand way but but there's a kind of a there's a sort of an I think a kind of epic quality to to their resonance if that makes any sense it does make sense and it's interesting that you say that because as well like I mean it was it was dialogue driven but I felt much of the performances all around and particularly the young actress that worked with you but um but your, yourself as well uh the director really um enjoyed or indulged in uh kind of like a static sort of shot of uh, relatively up close on your face to show a transformation of our kind of resorting to words there was a few times and a few standouts like that where I felt that uh, that was the performance was delivered almost entirely through expressions, albeit the most subtle kind of changes within your face or another characters. Mm. Well, I think we were definitely, you know, very interested in um, the interiority of the characters and the subtext. Um, I know that um, I certainly found that, yeah, we we were not just telling a story and having, you know, it wasn't a play. It really was. Every scene was about the richness of what was going on behind them. And the, the mm. text is sort of just what's on the surface of that. Um, I think that's, that's probably, you know, what writing should be, you know, mm. it shouldn't be just hanging, hanging in the text. It should be that the text is, is, is the surface, but what's really happening is, is this is this sort of deeper forces that work between people, and a lot of that's unspoken and is in body language. And um, 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is interesting, but like that, that the medium sort of lends itself or affords that sort of um, that ability to connect or resonate with an audience through without relying upon dialogue and just allowing these these sort of transformations entirely visually. I'm always interested, particularly when it comes to acting, Richard, is your preparation for this particular role. Uh, you have always, uh, this is kind of hedging on to another question I wanted to ask you, but you've always struck me as a pacifist and a, a very amiable, mellow, mellow fellow. And <laughs> I wanted to know, because the, the character, it, 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 Hans isn't sadistic, uh, you know, he, he, might be led, he might lead himself astray or kind of go, go down a dark rabbit hole, but I never felt that he was... Um, overly sadistic and I wondered how you sort of readied for the character and if that that process changed for you within shooting if you if you kind of maybe from the outset had one sort of way in which you're intending on playing Hansa and then that changed during production or how did you go about doing yeah, that? It's interesting I guess one thing I would say right up front before I quite answer that question is that um, there's been a few dark characters in some movies lately and I won't mention which ones that I find really um upsetting because they're just black holes mm. and i i really think that that's kind of somehow i mean of course everyone can make whatever film they want to make but i feel that's kind of almost irresponsible i feel like we we want to um see the humanity in people even the people that do terrible things so i was very keen with hans to um to create a character that you know you might not love at the beginning but you might you know find a little quirky or funny you might you know you sort of quite like them in a certain way or you know there's things about them that you don't hate let's put it that way and so that you can um have some empathy for them as they go down the rabbit hole as they make these you know terrible decisions based on their in, in their inner traumas and so on and so on so that's just just a sort of a, a background i guess um yeah it's funny, I was talking to um, someone in my garage yesterday who came to film and he said, I can't believe, you know, you're such a, uh, you're such a nice mellow guy, Richard, I can't believe that. <laughs> and also, when we, when we first met our, one of our distributors, I had this long meeting with him and then he watched the film the next day and he said to, to Martin, I think it was, he said, that wasn't the same person, that couldn't have been the same person as I met. <laughs> so I think that's, Good, you see, I think acting is not, I mean, of course you can just act and be yourself. Um, but to me, I'm really interested in discovering um, a character that isn't myself and, you know, going to places and, and really constructing and in, inhabiting a character that is someone quite unique and different. So there are, how, do I, how, did, how did I get there? How did it affect me? Mm. Um, well, look, I, there's a million different techniques and I think you need to sort of have those at your disposal and work with them in different ways. And, you know, that includes just sort of script analysis. And it also includes research into, you know, people with disturbed minds and different states of consciousness they could be in and their reactions. And it also um, includes um, uh, kind of working with various sort of deeper techniques, like one of the techniques that I think I've, I was really interested in was Michael Chekhov's acting technique. So Michael Chekhov was a, was a student of Stanislavski. He did all of the emotional recall and he had a nervous breakdown and he was like, I can't do any of that sort of what later became the method acting. I mean, that's a whole interesting story because Stanislavski is much more interesting and 
rich than the method itself. But he created a whole other technique, which was a um, internal imaging system. So you create these images for yourself, and that literally transforms your being from your deeper inner images. So some of those transformations you're talking about, they're 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 working with people like Michael Chekhov. But I guess the final, I mean, I could go on forever about this. I mean, no, it didn't affect me because I also kind of worked on my own little theory, which I've been developing called the yoga theory of acting. I'm very interested in yoga. And I am um, I was working on this idea that I could just be in a very neutral state between takes of just nothing or just learning, going over the lines or, but just basically sort of a neutral passive state and then I go into the scene having done the research knowing what the scene's going to be also of course responding to the set and the other actors and the whole sort of all those factors um, but basically go with as least friction and resistance as possible to whatever state was required however extreme it was but then to come immediately back to the meditation state so it's just like go there and come back because I think there's this idea, and the reason I call it the yoga theory of acting is relates, this is a little bit esoteric, but it relates to these ideas of how um, yoga and quantum physics have this parallel between, you know, connecting to a state of pure potential. And then from that state of pure potential, anything can happen. And then you go back to pure potential. So I was sort of working on that sort of philosophical concept of like being pure potential going to anywhere that I need to go and then just back to pure potential. So yeah, it's pretty tiring. It's like, it's not like it doesn't affect you because the whole process is pretty exhausting. It would um, be. But, but it, but I don't think it like it, it, it wasn't about me drawing on my own inner violence or any of that. It was about um, just accessing that sort of more sort of universal possibility, shall we say, and then hopefully just going home and like, watching Star Trek and having dinner or something and letting it all go. I never thought it was you drawing like from your like in advance or anything like that. I knew that it was going to have, there was going to be, and given that I've known you before seeing you on, on screen like that, I knew that there would be some sort of concept in which you, you, you yourself might've devised or become a master of to do that. Even within the concept that you're describing the yoga acting, um, it's just, it just, I mean, obviously it works for you. For me, I'd like that just, the process of making yourself so singular and the ability to seamlessly kind of slip in and out of that kind of state of being would just be well beyond me, Richard, my man, I would not, uh, I would not be able to do that. I like it because I'm, I'm glad that it, was, it works for you because the, the results are there on, on the screen that anyone can see now, um, you know, for posterity. But uh, for me, I would not, I would not be able to achieve that. That's a phenomenal concept and uh, state of being that you've kind of devised there. Well, look, I don't know. I just, um, I think, I think the most important part is the frictionlessness. If you can just not put any blockages in your way, mm. just. I mean, it's very, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I was, I was going to say it's, it's, it's definitely worked for you in that regard, um, particularly yeah. of playing such a, yeah. And, and like we, we've, we've mentioned the complexities of the character and I, I guess all sort of good characters are, you also mentioned about how you've seen some movies lately where there's been a, I think you described it as a black hole of a character which I can totally get behind as well and that resonates with me with what you're talking about in terms of having a character that hasn't been fleshed out at all evil for the sake of being evil just one-dimensional yeah. it's truly it's a, it's I mean it's a it's a it's a kind of cliched sort of description but one-dimensional is certainly the case I mean 
it's sort yeah. of I think it's a little irresponsible because um, because you know the world is a really complicated place and we need to try to understand each other. Mm. And I, I think that's one of the things I've felt. It's like there's no point in going in and judging a character like Hans, even though yes, you and I could sit here and and make some judgments about him. But I think you know as an exercise, one of the purposes of art is to uh, train and increase our empathy levels mm. so that we as audience members can be more compassionate to each other as, as other people. And we literally have a world that is fraught with disconnection and misunderstandings and, and you know, projection and so much, you know, uh, sort of emotional and psychological uh, problems and breakdowns that, you know, I, I'm not saying this film is the answer to that, but I think, you know, I think one of the things we can try to do as artists is, 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 is help, help with the sort of our empathy meters, you know? Mm. No, absolutely. So, I'm, I'm with you 100%. What yeah. about then? So, I mean, like you, you, you've, you've talked about this, the system that you've devised to kind of like at least slip in and out of the character's uh, skin, as it were. What yeah. then would you consider the greatest challenge that you either faced or the greatest trial that you faced either with the character or the production in general? Was it one particular standout challenge or was it sort of an ongoing sort of concurrent aspect that you had to face throughout production or anything um, that look, springs to mind? Look, I think um, obviously, you know, I was a producer and an actor, so um, it there was, there's a lot going on that you have to worry about. So I needed to shut that out of my mind. And, you know, and I'd, I'd had hoped for more rehearsal time before, but, but, you know, I was very lucky because um, um, we had a, a great um, first, a number of great first ADs, but I lead first AD, Eleanor Knox, and I made an agreement with her that, you know, that I would step back from producing during the days of the shoot. And she made this announcement. She's a wonderful actor herself, actually, made this announcement at the beginning of the day, like, do not talk to Richard about any producing things until the end of the day or the weekend. You know, there might have been one or two days where I had to deal with something at lunchtime, but generally that worked. And that was really, that was really good. Um, but, um, you know, in terms of making it, uh, I, I mean, I, just in the acting, I loved it. I mean, it was, it was, I think in the end, I wouldn't say didn't affect me in the sense it 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 is it's it's kind of like running a marathon so it mm. is kind of tiring process but it's also this it's this sort of I, I, I can't wait to do another one mm. because you get into a beautiful rhythmic state where you're just acting every day and that's your job and it's like oh my god this is the best job in the world you know to be able to go and explore this and wow, I mean, I wish I could be doing it now, you know, so uh, there's a kind of a rhythm you get from that, that I think, um, I mean, it must be, you know, I don't want to compare it, but it must be like when you're, you know, an elite athlete or something, you're playing every week, you you know, you're really on your game because you're just doing it all the time. So that's just a wonderful place to be. Um, but of course it is, you know, it's, it, that takes it out of you. I think, um, in terms of the production, well, it, yeah, it's challenging to get an independent production up in Australia. Absolutely. Um, we were, um, it's challenging, you know, thank you for the interview. We're, we've got great uh, reviews and we've had wonderful audiences at the Fantastic Film Festival Australia where we just had our, our Sydney and Melbourne premieres and we had some great uh, uh, 
audiences at the Revelation Perth International Film Festival. We did the Australian premiere and we had great response from um, the festivals that have played it in Brazil and other places. But it is really a challenge to bring get an audience in mm. um, to, to, to get so they know about it because most films have, you know, uh, big Hollywood films have produ- uh, publicity budgets that are sometimes more than the whole production budget. And we, yeah, don't have, we, have, we don't have any of that. So that's a challenge. And I guess what I'd say is, you know, one thing I said to Parrish was, um, and I don't want to make it out to be like we had so many problems, but, you know, there'd be challenges. And I said to him, look, we have to stop thinking of it like, oh, my God, there's a problem today. It's like, no, 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 no. We are warriors. There's a problem every day. The question is, isn't, oh, my God, the, 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 what you don't, you don't say, oh, my God, there's a problem is that you say, what's today's problem? Let's have it. Let's deal with it. And you just go at it that way. And once we shifted our mindset about it, like, you know, we're film warriors, we're arts warriors, and we're just going to deal with today's problem. And we just did, you know, and we became very good at it. So um, there, there's always a problem and there's always a solution and you just got to keep going. You can't give up. Oh, fantastic. I love that. That that is commendable right there, Richard. There's a positive attitude to have. And I love that term film or creative warrior because I certainly agree with it. Uh, I absolutely have an affinity of that and with you for saying that because that is very, very true. Uh, Yes. My my hat goes off to you because I know just absolutely. Well, I only know some because I've I've never worked on a, a feature to the extent in which you have. I mean, yeah, you had the dual roles as well. So that is going to bring down 10 times more pressure um on you for it so it's interesting and i really really like to hear that the first ad was telling you uh or telling people not to kind of like come up to you on the days that you were you were acting to kind of at least so you could compartmentalize or differentiate between which day you're in this mindset and which you're in that yeah how did you like i mean you've explained the way in which you kind of slip in and out of the character and sort of the what you what you brought um, to them from the outset and that sort of prevailed throughout. I always like, and you mean, you, you did touch on early on into the description about uh, being a poet at heart and how that kind of like also, you know, has, has coloured some of what you've then brought to the acting. But I always wondered, like, have you found, is there one particular medium in which you find to be your your go-to that you find the most the most freedom and fluidity afforded with your sort of thoughts that you can then channel into something tangible and creative or as acting is they're so different. This is so inherently different. Um, writing is this, you know, innately isolated pursuit and foundation, yeah, of all the creativity. Yeah. It's, it's, it's you locked away in a room or be it somewhere quiet, you know, whereas the filmmaking is diametrically opposed to that because it's such a, communal thing and it needs to be there needs to be a community rallying together with this one you know mission in mind in order for it to be achieved otherwise it just it will just you know fail so have you have you found that there's one that you're particularly fond of Sam people always ask me questions like this about like which is your favorite medium and stuff like that um I can't exactly answer Mm. I would say that um Poetry is the heart of what I do. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because that is like, um, that's like my deepest self. Do you know Mm. what I mean? And I tried as an actor to bring poetry to the acting in the sense that I'm very interested in poetry and like really complex emotional states and layers and layers of thinking and feeling. And 
I tried to bring that to Hans so that, you know, and I'm not saying Hans is a poem, but in a sense of like the, the, the richness and complexity of that. Mm. Um, I, I think I actually have this theory, I call it the bounce around theory, which is that when you do different things, they energize each other. So, you know, there's only so many hours a day you can write poetry and there's only so many hours a day you can act. There's only so many hours a day you can direct or produce or choreograph or dance. So to me, they sort of energize each other so that one sort of I do two hours of this and then I'm ready to do two hours of that. And so to me, that's kind of the way it works rather than creating a hierarchy of forms. Um, and I certainly also noticed that when we used to, when my partner Karen Prom and I used to do lots of touring around that we would have these incredibly out there times when we were, you know, interfacing with theaters and audiences. And, and I would just love to just disappear after that into writing and just like not talk to anyone for a month, you know. So the bounce around can work on a daily basis, but it can also work on a sort of month, a month here and then, excuse me, I don't want to see anybody for a month. So, um, and then you sort of burrow down, like I'm actually really hankering to do some writing now. I just can't wait to get into some, excuse me, <laughs> I've got to go deep down. Um, but uh, but I, I do think they sort of, they feed each other in different ways. And um, I haven't tried to do everything in my life. I've tried very hard to be, you know, very, and I don't make the same way, but sort of professional and, you know, really understand the media in which I work. I don't try to be a painter or designer or anything like that um, or composer. But um, I, I do think that there's also a way in which those media feed each other so that, um, like I said, you know, I want to see characters that are as rich as poems. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? I want poems to have the vitality and energy that uh, uh, that you, you you feel they're they're living beings, you know. So they're not so far away from each other if you're thinking about it about capturing the richness of our experience. And I also feel like we're in general we're much richer and more complex beings than we're normally allowed to be. Like, ah, oh, you're a this or you're a that. I mean, those are just boxes. Those are just commodifications so that we can be more easily managed and packaged. And, uh, you know, I don't want to be managed and packaged. I want to be a fully, you know, alive, vibrant human being. And I want other people to have that opportunity as well. So um, I'm not too keen on being put in a box. That's, wow. Good, good. Very good answer in terms of that, because and I like what you talked about, the, the, um, the activity that you had, albeit the frame of mind where it was, jumping around from one activity to another kind of energizes uh, and also balances out as well. Cause that, that, that particularly is what you were talking about there. Um, most of them are kind of a, a highly demanding pressurized in some capacity. Uh, so you need a break from, from all of them, particularly if there's a, if, the, if there's a juggling act that's going on and particularly if you're involved in all sorts of components of the production. So, you know, like, again, this harkens back to kind of what you've also touched on there with this dual role within within the scope of um bloodshot heart which is the producing side of things so that's the that's the kind of the mover and shaker the the shit kicker for lack of a better word the one that's out there trying to get the investors and generate interest and then you've got the completely other side of that from the pragmatic side then you've got the real creative kind of side of having to kind of like delve into this ineffable being of a of a character and then sort of uh, which you've loved which you've you've beautifully and definitely conveyed um as your your process there but it's still not easy and uh 
yeah, I'm glad that you've, you've obviously found out over time a sort of process that works for you. And it has shining example with, um, with your work for Bloodshot Heart. So what then? What's 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 happening with the future of? Because you, you've mentioned like we're both we're both in total agreement about just how difficult it is for Australian cinema in general, but independent cinema, particularly anything that sort of uh, is uh, unabashedly unique, daring, or dare I say it, weird in some capacity. It's even tougher to 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 get your work out there. Do you think it's um? It's getting a bit better because I mean, like you, the, you were the fantastic uh, film festival and rich cinema. I mean, so that's it's 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 like you mentioned, it's getting into uh, film festivals. You also mentioned, uh, I think, something as far as Brazil. So you know, there's, yeah. there's some film well, festivals. I, I wrote a little uh, a little article about this in Filmink, um, which you might like to have a look at, or maybe oh, well. link in your please in do. Your thing. Um, <clears throat> I was proposing that. Um, we are at a special moment in in our culture, you know, post COVID. Um, you know, the film renaissance, or it's been called different things, but the film that's called the film renaissance in the 1970s had quite a number of uh, different origins. But one of those origins, I think, was the fact that um, there was a sort of breakdown in the supply chain coming from Hollywood, uh, which meant it just gave the uh, cinema owners and distributors a bit more of a chance to support Australian product projects. Um, and that's just incredibly important. And something similar is happening at the moment because of the breakdown, you know, it's because they couldn't shoot things. And, um, and also there's a challenge of streaming, which is sort of creating, facilitating some things, but challenging others. So there has been less Hollywood product and I think that is potentially giving Australian cinema a bit of a chance. So we saw The Dry um, did really well, an earlier film with Russell Crowe, which was everyone said was just to basically go to DVD film. That did really well. Um, and uh, several others, um, Penguin Bloom. So I think there is an opportunity here for, um, you know, I don't know how long it is, uh, but mm -hmm. I think there is an opportunity here for us to maybe... Uh, shift the 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 discussion the dialogue the paradigm a little bit towards supporting more australian films um the thing is that the audiences have to participate in that yeah because the structures as they're currently set up are really more and more and more going the other way the funding mm -hmm. structures the you know distribution structures they're they're not really designed at the moment to be very supportive of original and certainly not weird Australian creativity. They're, they're designed to be trying to make copies of Hollywood models. And, you know, that's pretty stupid because um, we're not from there and we don't have those budgets and we don't really usually succeed at that. So why not make something more unique? You know, in, in, in France, you have a pretty strong quota system and they have a very strong film industry. In Australia, we have a very weak, quota system and we've remarkably had an extraordinary film industry but it's been a continual series of you know floods and droughts and storms and you know ups and mm -hmm. downs and um and you know people breaking through and then the number of times that people have i've talked to people and you know looked at some of the great breakthrough independent films in australia which define our concept of australian cinema and then someone says to me well they never would have funded that the year after mm -hmm. so it's kind of, we have a problematic but glorious history 
And um, I think there's a moment now where we could try to take some of that back and re and and move the move the the focus towards supporting our own homegrown creative projects on a, in a much more focused way. But I do have to say that um, having now also worked into the distribution system in practice as well as in theory, at least a little bit, I'd have to say that it is absolutely essential that Australian audiences do their role, play mm. their part. You can't, um, it's not a one-way street. It's not just, oh, great, more filmmakers will make good stuff. No, it's about you have to vote with your pocketbook. You have to go to the cinema. You have to download the Australian films. You have to, you have to, you have to support that. And I'm not telling people what to do. I'm, it's just the fact of the matter is the, the bean counters count beans. Mm. And the beans are who spent what money on what. If you want to have an Australian film industry that's flourishing, you have to support Australian films. And the bean counters will look at that. They'll go, oh, my God, look at that. So we better put some more money over there. It's as simple as that. So we have an opportunity because of this sort of breakdown. But it's only going to happen if people turn up. So, you know, please turn up to Bloodshot Heart. Please turn up to the next one. You're... you're, you're contribution of your time and your focus and your money is sending the message that we care about our culture and we want to have our, our own culture and we don't want to just you know be following these kind of very cramped um, models of what creativity could be which are really you know when you start to to break them down they're pretty terrifying sometimes you know I don't want to go into all the things but they're you know they're all the things that you you don't really believe in, they're structured into those stories. They're they're often sexist. They're um, misogynistic. They're they're you know they're colonialist. Colonialist. They're racist. They're, all those things are are sort of deeply embedded in a lot of the structures of the films that we see, and we don't even sort of think about it. So if you want to change that, you have to support people who are going to try to do something different, re-examine those models, re-examine those tropes and try to express much more what what we're all trying to do is have a better world so yes that's what i would say <laughs> join us i think that that very nicely encapsulates what we're encapsulates what we've been talking about and i think that would be a, a very good point to end it on richard i feel that in my uh summation of what you've said there uh I totally in total agreement with you. I think the audiences do need to do their part. I think that there there is a dedicated fan base that are going to this to these to these films. Yeah, Ritz is a really good place for it. Um, Hell Cinemas, Golden Age. I go to all of them um, religiously. That is my religion. So I think that there's there's certainly and there's certainly a lot of people like me at these when I go to more kind of. Um, Literary events. If I went to Sydney Film uh, Sydney Writers Festival, I probably wouldn't find all that many people walking around that look like me, dressed like me, with a shirt like me, with tattoos like me. When I go to these sort of events, when I go to these sort of films, I always see a, a, an absolute wealth, uh, lush with people that are very much my people. So I think that there is definitely the people on the unsighted lens, which is you making this, and then I think there's certainly the bums on the seats. There are people like me that are doing this as well. 
And I think that it's proliferating. I think that there is, it's, it's becoming in, uh, not just in vogue again. It's not just a, a trend. I think that there is this movement of realizing this, what you've, you've touched on there, this importance of cinema, unabashedly weird cinema, unique cinema, independent Australian cinema. Um, in some respects, there's still, the funding is still denied to the most, um, the most deserving of, of parties and sort of, uh, sort of productions. But I feel that, a lot of people like yourself kind of get a, get around it in some capacity and ultimately get the movie delivered to the fans that uh, that want it. And I think that it is happening and is, and is the best kind of symbiotic relationship, the most beautiful and beneficial to societal betterment of uh, a symbiotic relationship that is continuing like that. So thank you so much for talking to me tonight. Thank you so much for making Bloodshot Heart, for making great films, great, unique, independent Australian films. I'll... Um, I'll get your bio stuff and I'll make sure that also goes up in the description of this episode. But um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Richard. It's always a pleasure running into uh, you at events or something like that. You're a gem of a person and I've really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, thank you very much. Absolutely likewise all back at you. So everyone, that was Richard James Allen talking to me about one of his latest and greatest endeavours, which was playing Hans, the lead character in a delightfully... Uh, weird off the beaten track independent Australian film that has just come out Bloodshot Heart uh, so huge thanks to Richard for talking to me tonight uh, he's also just sent me through some links that I'm going to be putting into the description of this particular episode on Spotify as well for you guys to check out there as well if you want to learn more about Bloodshot Heart uh, as well and I do wholly encourage that I particularly enjoy towards the end, latter end of that discussion that we were having that kind of delved into the state of uh, Australian cinema, particularly independent Australian cinema. I thought that that was a very enlightening kind of and rousing, reassuring sort of chat as to where we were heading towards with um, with independent Australian cinema. Uh, so yeah, if you yourself are one of those Australian cinephiles that enjoy independent Australian cinema, then I do urge you to go out, run, not walk to a screening of Bloodshot Heart always good to support your local Australian independent cinema by uh, showing your support by putting your bum on the seat and exchanging money for it. So always do that. I think that's kind of what Richard was talking about there as well. But in any event, thank you so much for listening to, for, first and foremost, for Richard coming on the program and talking to us about his work and starring in this uh, Bloodshot Heart movie, as well as thank you so much to you, the listener, for listening to this particular podcast and all other episodes. Can't stress enough, if you haven't already, please be sure to follow the sh the podcast program itself the right way. It's falling over my own words there, even though it was my own creation. Uh, please give it a follow, cheeky follow on Spotify there if you haven't already. I know it's there. I know it's looking at you, that follow button. Give it a click. I myself listen to a whole lot of podcasts and know it's just at the top there, featured prominently. It's dying to be clicked. Give it a click. Go me one better and then actually tell everyone else, friends, family, hairdressers about how good the program is and how much you've been enjoying it because all of that obviously means so much to me in terms of allowing me to keep doing what I'm doing. Getting out there, getting the word out so that people will uh, keep coming wanting to appear on the program as well. It's been an overwhelmingly positive uh, reaction so far. Really, uh, really gets me in the cockles of my heart, I must say to you, dear listener, uh, just how many people I'm seeing that are kind of like tuning into the program on a regular basis. So absolutely much appreciated. It allows me to keep doing what I'm doing. 
Uh, I've got a whole more guests, a whole lot more guests that are coming up in the near future. Almost borderline too many, which is a great problem to have. Second only, uh, it's the second best problem to have in this world, I think, aside from the first best, which is having too many books to read. That is officially not just me saying it, that's unequivocally the best problem to have in this world. May it never not be the first problem in my life, first and greatest problem uh, to run out of books in my lifetime to read. May I never have not enough to read and always too much because it is a great problem to have and I'm sure many of you uh, book enthusiasts out there feel similarly and enjoy having that problem as well. But in any event, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Give the podcast a follow on Spotify if you haven't already. Keep listening. Got a hell of a lot more coming up for you. So stay tuned and danke for listening.